Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In this episode of The Bell Tale, Northern Ireland's politics, what happens next? The following candidate has reached the quota and is deemed elected, Michelle O'Neill. Sinn Féin striding into history. The first time a nationalist party looks set to hold the most seats in the Northern Ireland Assembly. The people have spoken, the votes have been counted, and there has been some real change. From an alliance perspective, our asks were clear. They reflect the fact that Northern Ireland is no longer simply orange and green. Irrespective of religious, political or social backgrounds, my commitment is to make politics work. I think it's a very interesting time ahead in terms of the Assembly. And it's going to be fun very straight talking to them, particularly directly with the UK government. And they really need to step up to the plate and deliver if they want to ensure that this Assembly works they need to deliver. A very good day for Sinn Féin, a great day for Alliance and a boost for the TUV. But what will it mean? Sinn Féin has ended up with the most seats. However, the unanswered question is whether the DUP will agree to nominate a Deputy First Minister. And I will hold the Prime Minister to account on that uh, because uh, it's what he promised. Now, if he doesn't deliver, then he uh, must recognise that uh, that, uh, that means perpetual political instability. Here to discuss, we have Andrew Madden, the Belfast Telegraph City reporter who takes a keen interest in all things political, and Sam McBride, our Northern Ireland editor. So, real change, business as usual, or complete stasis? Sam? For now, there won't be much change in terms of getting government back. So that's the thing that really matters to people. I think we're in for months probably of no government in Northern Ireland as a result of this. Interestingly, one of the impediments to um, getting a government back, which seemed to be there prior to the election, that was the DUP saying that, or rather not saying that they would serve with a Sinn Féin deputy first minister, seems to have gone. They seem to have crossed that line. But the far bigger, the far more substantive issue of the protocol is even more difficult for the DUP to get over now. They have seen votes surge towards Jim Allister's TUV. They have seen very little evidence of unionists going in the other direction towards a more liberal, more pragmatic protocol party in the Ulster Unionist Party. And so I think that makes it harder for them to compromise, even if Sir Geoffrey Donaldson was minded to do so. Yes, I think we will have a period of negotiation and toing and froing. So they could be offered a fig leaf, which could provide more impetus and give Geoffrey Donaldson perhaps a reason to go back in and talk seriously about perhaps, you know, nominating a deputy first minister. It might be something vague, but we'll see what happens. And I've noticed something fascinating, and a lot of people have brought this up. Will Jeffrey actually go into Stormont or not, or will he 
Well, it would be a huge slap in the face to the electorate if he chose not to. He said on numerous occasions in the run-up to the election, he's ready to take a seat at Stormont. People voted for him to be an MLA at Stormont to lead his party from Stormont, not over in Westminster. So it will be very hard for people to swallow if he chooses not to. I think it's certainly a risky thing for him to so rapidly pull out and stay in Westminster. I think it would be a signal, a pretty ominous, a pretty gloomy signal as to the prospects of Stormont coming back soon if he did that. And the second signal I think people can look out for this week is, do the DUP block the appointment of a speaker in Stormont? They have the power to do that. If they want to be ultra obstructionist, that is what they will do. That will not just mean that the executive doesn't function. It means that the assembly will not function. If the assembly can get up running, if there is a speaker, then it means that there's at least a a forum for scrutiny of the caretaker ministers over the next six months. There is the possibility of private members' motions, of debates, of um, Stormont committees doing work to inquire into different problems, etc. If that doesn't happen, I think that is really a hardening of the DUP's position here. And their rhetoric is certainly is concentrating on the protocol rather than the prospect of a Sinn Féin first minister. I mean, the gap is so so large now, I suppose you can't concentrate on that point. So the protocol, could there be something, as you mentioned, Andrew, could there be something in the, could there be a sweetie there? There could be, but it could be something perhaps very vague. It could be stipulating that they will introduce legislation to protect Northern Ireland's place within the UK and we'll see what happens with that and that could be enough for Geoffrey Donaldson to go back in but it won't be anything concrete or massively sweeping. The DUP have been waiting for years for the Tories to come in and really save them in terms of the Northern Ireland Protocol and that's just not going to happen. There's been a lot of briefing coming out of Whitehall about this to the London media, where my understanding is that they have been told that there will be some sort of limited mention by the Queen in the Queen's speech of protecting the Good Friday Agreement in all its parts or something like that, new legislation. That will be spun and be interpreted as um, something which will give the government the power to basically disapply parts of the protocol, but it won't actually say it if those briefings are correct. Is that enough for for Sir Geoffrey Donaldson? I don't think it comes close to being enough. Even if the government was to say in the Queen's speech that they were bringing in this legislation, it would not mean that they're implementing it right away. It just gives them the power to tear up parts of the protocol. What Sir Geoffrey has said, and I was surprised at how explicit he was about this during the campaign, and not just at the rallies, but in really considered speeches and statements, he said that the Irish Sea border needed to go. The checks needed to stop. That is an exceptionally high bar. He might try to, if he if he thinks that he can get away with it, use some sort of fig leaf and say, well, actually, it's possible that it will go in a few months' time, so I'll go back in now. But even that's just creating a new pressure point down the line. And speaking about down the line, if 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 this if this manifestation of Stormont just doesn't work out, there ha- there was talk of a, of a that we could end up in a new election situation in a short period of time. Surely that's the absolute last thing that the DUP wants. It's well, the last thing that journalists want. Yeah, I think out of pure selfish. Um, uh, it just won't reasons. solve. It won't solve anything whatsoever. No, I think I think that there is there is the potential for people in the DUP to look at that and think about it and see in it a certain allure because if you look at what happened in 2017, there was an assembly election in the spring. They lost their their the the, the unionist parties lost their stormont majority for the first time in the history of Northern Ireland. There were ten DUP seats that were lost. It was a disastrous outcome. It was a bit like this in a different context. And suddenly Theresa May calls a general um, a, a general uh, election a few months later 
later, they suddenly stormed to the top of the polls there because unionist voters were basically psychologically scarred. They were spooked by what had happened and they thought, you know what, we need to redress this um, broken equilibrium, if you like, and give unionism a stronger mandate. There is the potential that that might happen here, but there's also the potential that actually Sinn Féin do even better, Alliance do even better, and that those unionist voters who did vote for the DUP through gritted teeth this time to try to stop a Sinn Féin first minister, look at these results, say, there's 66,000 votes off the pace. That's gone. It's not coming back. Now we'll vote for who we really want to vote for, and that might be Jim Allister or that might be the Ulster Unionists. Now, we were told during the election, because we've been speaking about the protocol, we've been speaking about these sort of things, that this was a nuts and bolts election, that this was about in terms of health and cost of living. Do you think that really was the case? And and really, what could Stormont do going forward? Will they learn a lesson from that? Well, a big thing in the run-up was Sinn Féin downplaying their calls for a border poll. But then as soon as the results started coming in, Mary MacDonald delivered a speech where she said we should start planning with them far one within the next five years. So they were perhaps being a bit disingenuous and electioneering, but at the same time, they did focus on the cost of living issues, which was obviously a big winner. I don't think there's very much evidence that many voters were primarily driven by those factors. I think that the the big symbolic significance of who got to the top of the pile here was the thing that was driving DUP and Sinn Féin voters primarily. And I think that you can, you can explain that in all sorts of ways. There's a lot of history behind that. There's a lot of symbolism behind that. There's not really anything of much substance behind that. But I think that there, there is a really interesting element to how Sinn Féin campaigned here. They, as Andrew says, consciously downplayed a border poll in this election for tactical reasons. Of course they still want it. Of course there's no surprise that Mary Lou MacDonald is now saying that they that they want to see planning for that. But I think that the big question here is that if we have another election, either now or in five years' time, and Sinn Féin look at the, at the landscape and say, right, we've done that, we're at the top now, now's the time to press ahead and really say this is the election to give us a mandate for a border poll. Would they get the same would they get the same result? Would they get as as significant a result? I'm not sure that they would. I think that there is a there is a a, a level of reticence in the community on both sides of the of the uh, of the uh, the uh, very deep divide in Northern Ireland about repeating the mistakes of Brexit. People have seen what happens when you've got a a move for constitutional change without the plan to go with it. So yes, there's lots of people who want to see Irish unity. Do they want to have the border poll in two years' time, in five years' time? I'm not sure. And yet, and yet, from a Brexiteer point of view, Brexit was a complete success. You, <laughs> it, you know, was it? well, I mean, it, they they did it. They got Brexit done. So whether yeah. you agree with it or not, no. So, I, I, you know, I was trying to have a chat there about the cost of living and health, and it didn't really work out. So we we, <laughs> we, we, we got back to the border yes. poll. Andrew, I mean, Sinn Féin are going up, but nationalism as a whole is going nowhere. Having said that, unionism seems to have stepped off a cliff. So, border poll. Can we expect Sinn Féin to push or will they wait for a while? Well, the last thing that Sinn Féin will want is to call a border poll that's doomed to failure because that would just take the wind out of nationalism sails completely. So if they call a border poll, they want to be fairly certain that they'll win or have a great chance of winning. If it was called tomorrow, it just wouldn't win. It just wouldn't happen. There isn't the appetite for it. Brandon Lewis has been very coy about even saying what situation he would call a border poll in. So we're not looking at one anytime soon. You don't think they they would be happy enough to lose well to start a 10-year conversation and have another one in 10 years? Possibly, yes. It, it could be. But at the same time, it's about momentum. And that would just take the momentum out of okay. Sinn Féin now. I th- I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely in agreement with that. I think that um, 
there is the potential here that Sinn Féin look at how well they have done in recent elections. In 2017, they outmaneuvered the DUP and made the argument and won the argument that they should stay out of Stormont. They've now made exactly the opposite argument that they should go back into Stormont and they've hammered the DUP again. There is a sense here that I think they're confident, their tails are up and they must be thinking maybe we're just better at this than the DUP. Maybe we can win the argument. Maybe we can make better arguments than them, even though at this point, absolutely, they're way behind, I think. They're way off the pace in terms of winning it right now. But get into the campaign, see how it goes. Who knows what happens? Look at how inept these people are. And yet the flip side of that is that I think even though the unionist parties have been hapless, they've been hopeless, they've been all over the place for years now, there is still a pretty weak uh, vote in favour of Irish unity um, when you look at the polling on this as a, sp- as a specific issue. So that's a concern for Sinn Féin, I think. We could also see the prospect of perhaps Mary MacDonald becoming a Taoiseach in the not-too-distant future, which would obviously improve the argument because, let's be honest, you know, it's an all-island issue. We need support not just in the north, but also in the south for Sinn Féin to have any chance. Another thing, if we look at this new rebalancing, I suppose, and we'll speak about the, 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 the others uh, momentarily, might we see an intensification of what we have, what has been described as the culture war, where Sinn Féin may be more assertive in terms of what the DUP would say, the greening of Ulster, and might the DUP be more defensive, knowing now that unionism is hovering about forty uh, percent? Might that be an effect of this election? I think there is reason to believe that could happen. It it really depends on whether Sinn Féin thinks it's in its strategic interests for that to happen. I think that if Sinn Féin are thinking about Irish unity in the next five years, 10 years, anything of that sort of time frame that they say publicly is their goal, they'll not be thinking in those terms. They'll be thinking of trying to win over centrist voters. How do they get alliance voters to vote for Irish unity? And do they get that through arguing about a statue of Martin McGuinness at Stormont or how often the flag flies or whatever it might be? I don't think they do. I think that's very off-putting to those people. It doesn't seem relevant to their lives. And so therefore, I think that will be an interesting test, a barometer of what Sinn Féin really thinks. Are they trying to win votes in the next election for themselves as a party, or are they thinking beyond that? But I think that there is the, there is the, the very significant potential that Sinn Féin, as Dathi Mackay said in our paper on Saturday in a very interesting piece, Sinn Féin in the next election, or maybe the one after that, are moving beyond the SDLP. That's not where their battle is now. It's going to be with Alliance. If their battle is purely a a political one with Alliance as a party, that is quite tempting territory for them because it forces Alliance to pick a side in those issues. And some Alliance voters will feel more instinctively nationalist in a cultural sense in those issues. And yet Sinn Féin or, I suppose, activists have... have, I hesitate to say force alliance onto nationalist territory and that alliance supports some sort of cultural language act, something unthinkable 20 years ago. So in in that terms, there have been real movement there. Uh, So I suppose when we move on to the parties and and what their future is, we know what what happened them. So the alliance surge, that was real, uh, up to 13.5% of the vote. Um, We used to speak, I suppose, pejoratively about an alliance type, but... Who are they now and what do they really want? Will they face harder questioning, Andrew? I think they will because now that we've come, the the phrase we heard a lot in the crown centres is we're now entering the three-party state. So politics has always been about really identity in Northern Ireland. So you ask the question, what is an alliance voter? They try to be all things to all people but they end up being nothing to nobody. So 
as we move towards and they grow in strength, they will have to perhaps sit less off the fence and give definitive answers to some definitive questions, the border poll question being one of them. But I don't think they'll be very hesitant to do that. I don't think we'll, we'll see any answers anytime soon. I think that the Alliance voter is somebody who probably feels Northern Irish in some sense. Some of those people will feel that in quite a British sense. Some of them will feel it as in Northern Irish, as in the northern part of the island. There's a great ambiguity in that, which suits Alliance. They are people who may have aspirations for unity or to maintain the union, but they're not preoccupied by it. It's not the thing that drives them to vote. They're more interested in the here and now. They're, they tend to be younger. They're not exclusively younger, but they tend to be people who don't understand the sort of issues that drove their parents or their grandparents or previous generations to vote green or orange. And I think that it's very, um, it's very difficult for, um, or sorry, it's 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 a type of voter who will. Not not necessarily be too worried, I think, about the idea of Alliance sitting on the fence on some of these issues. On some of these issues, Alliance has come off the fence on a, on a border poll. They're very clear that they say we should not have one right now. That doesn't harm Alliance because their voters might want a border poll in 10 years' time or 15 years' time. They might want to vote for Irish unity at that point, but they, they just don't care about it right now. And so Alliance speak very successfully to that demographic. You agree with that, Andrew, of course? I, I would agree with that, but then the longer that goes on for, you know, in so we say five or ten years' time, then the the question will become louder. And perhaps maybe they could just take a step back if a border poll is called and say we won't campaign, we'll leave a free vote, we won't we will let our supporters choose what they want to do themselves, which would be something new for Northern Ireland politics. And I think if they don't do that and if a border poll happens and they decide to pick a side as as has been hinted at by Alliance over over recent weeks, that is really dangerous territory for them, I think, because their great strength is saying we're not one or the other. Once you pick a side um, and you don't say it's every man or woman for themselves it's and a caution and lemons, yeah. it's very difficult. And it takes away from a part of what Alliance are if they do that. It's a PR election, so I don't think anybody can win. Um, but Sinn Féin did very well. They didn't get any more seats. I mean, could they have picked? Is that a pick? Well, the, the argument or the... The question around at the start in the run-up to the election was who was going to lose the most amount of seats. That was that was the question. We didn't think that Sinn Féin were going to hold their seats. So that's a tremendous result for them. I mean, there's always going to be a peak for any party in Storm, just the way it's designed. But it's a tremendous result for Sinn Féin. Have they peaked? Perhaps. It's very hard to tell when somebody has peaked, obviously. I mean, it's, it, it's guesswork, really. In terms of seats, I think it is... It is slightly disappointing for Sinn Féin, given they're just stunning. I mean, it's just, it's off the charts in terms of its its um, its real significance for Sinn Féin. To get over a quarter of a million votes for Sinn Féin is, I mean, there there really are no words for how significant that is. They're still struggling on the transfer front. That That is the, the concern for them. But I think to come back to replicate their seat tally from their greatest ever result in 2017, the RHI election, the election that most of us reporting it at that that point thought was an aberration. It was something that was a break with the norm. We'd go back to something a bit more normal after that. And to then put um, 66,000 votes between them and the DUP, they were something like a 1,000 votes behind going into this election. I mean, that is just phenomenal. Sinn Féin did so well, really, there's not much to talk about, but there's a lot to talk about in the DUP. I mean, how can they come back from this? They fail even more than we thought they were going to fall. Well, it's it's the reverse of Sinn Féin in that their seat tally is not too disappointing in the circumstances. Their vote tally is really concerning. So they've managed to pick up transfers from the TUV, from all sorts of other parties, the Ulster Unionists, etc. But I think the really alarming message is that despite this very tribal message of 
of vote for us to try to stop a Sinn Féin first minister. And despite some people clearly having responded to that and done that um, against their 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 best instincts, if you like, against the parties that they would want to have voted for, they've still um, come so far off the pace. That's really concerning for them. If that issue comes out of the picture and it's a straight debate between the parties as to which is the best, they're down into the teens. They're really in deep, deep trouble here. And I think they really do need a shake-up of their backroom team. I mean, Tim Cairn said, you know, if they were a normal political party... They would change on Monday. It's just not going to happen. But they really do need to look at themselves and stop blaming everyone else for their failures because it's just not going to help the party whatsoever. And the UUP, what bossed the BT bounce? Well, or maybe there was no BT bounce. Maybe there was no. Maybe, maybe they we did made seem that up. to be picking up momentum in the election trail, but it just didn't translate the votes. It just they just seemed to lose out to alliance just everywhere you looked, and even Doug Beatty's uh, seat on Friday morning looked at risk in the end he got in there but still it's an embarrassing result for a party leader to be duking it out at the latter stages of an election it was it was several factors I think he was hurt by the first minister thing so there were unionist voters quite traditional unionist voters who might have been tempted by the Ulster unionists but they they thought you know what actually we don't want Shin, we don't want Sinn Féin at the top of the pile we can't stand the idea of Michelle O'Neill as first minister we're going to vote for the DUP because of that um, there, were, there was then the issue of the protocol where there was a very mixed and a very messy message coming out of the Ulster unionist party some of its candidates were refusing to go to anti-protocol rallies some of them were going to anti-protocol rallies. There was a there was a message from the Ulster Unionists which was that they were anti the protocol. They wanted to see it changed, but they weren't really clear how they would get it changed. They certainly weren't going to pull down Stormont over it. That was a fairly that was a fairly straightforward message. That was, I think, a good message in terms of trying to differentiate themselves from the DUP. But how were they actually going to get it changed? They didn't really have any clarity around that. I think a very revealing comment from uh, UUP Insider when the results started to come in and it showed that things weren't going to go Doug Beatty's way. He simply said Doug was our project, and she got it. And talking about leaders, uh, Jim Allister's TUV, and I mean they had a great election, but no more seats. How did that happen? Well, it's a it's a fascinating story. I mean, first of all, it was an incredible result for the TUV. You can't take that away from them. Um, the fact that they didn't get seats is not a criticism of 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 the of the vote that they got. Lots of people voted for them. I was really struck by one seat. I was at the Belfast Count with uh, Andrew, and the um, the result in North Belfast shocked me. The TUV candidate got more than three thousand votes. He was a fairly low profile candidate. He was up against people who have a much higher media profile. Julianne um, Cor Johnston for the Ulster Unionist. Um, DUP candidates, even Mal O'Hara, the deputy leader of the Green Party. Mal O'Hara got, um, I think it was about 1,400 votes. It was something in the 1,000s. And you'd three, over 3,000 votes for the TUV in a seat that they had no chance of winning in an urban seat for a party that's a rural conservative party that doesn't speak very well to an urban electorate, whether it's loyalist or um, other. And there, were, there was something in that, I think, of a clear protest vote. But when you look at the numbers, there is a fascinating picture here. The Alliance Party got a 116,000 first preference votes and out of that they got 17 MLAs. The TUV got 66,000 votes and they got one MLA. Now, how on earth does that happen? It all comes down to transfers. But it's not just about um, the simple message of transfers. It's about how the system rewards parties that are transfer attractive and it punishes parties that are transfer repellent as the TUV is. And so you had a situation in Strangford 
So when you, when you look at the Strankford seat, there is the there is the clearest example of how this hurts the TUV and rewards the alliance because they're just a more popular party. So Stephen Cooper for the for the TUV got five thousand one hundred and eighty six first preference votes. He was in third place. I spoke to him at the count centre around lunchtime. He said, "You can quote me saying I'm confident that I'm going to get in," and that was a perfectly reasonable assumption because he was third. The Alliance candidate, um, who was ultimately their second candidate who came in there, Nick Matheson, had 2,822 first preferences. He was down in seventh place. And by the end of it, he had 6,173 votes. So he had surged from 2,000-something to 6,000-something. And the the TUV candidate, Stephen Cooper, was still in the 5,000s. He hadn't hit 6,000. That is an example of how getting a big first preference vote is, is very important. It's very significant. But you need to be able to get other people to give you twos and threes and fours. And the TUV, like nobody else, cannot do that. And I suppose uh, you can also compare that to Sinn Féin, where they relied strongly on first preference votes, but it worked for them because they rumped home in terms of first preference votes. I mean, North Belfast, we thought that Carol McCullen seat was at risk because she only squeaked in last time, one of the latter stages. This time, her and Jelly Kelly elected at the first count. And then it also raises questions, where did the TV go from here? Because if there was another election, say, called in six months, they're not going to appeal to other voters. They're a hardline unionist party. They'll always be a hardline unionist party. If they weren't, they wouldn't be the TUV. And finally, the STLP, what a pickle. They're really in a difficult position. It seems they've tried everything at this stage. Before, when uh, Colm Eastwood teamed up with Mike Nesbitt, when Mike Nesbitt was UUP leader, they tried the vote for Colm, get Mike. It did not work. This time, they've tried, well, I don't really know what they tried this time, to be honest. I think the problem was that in a Westminster election, they've got a very clear differentiation with Sinn Féin. They can say, we are the nationalists who will represent your voice in the House of Commons, the old nationalist party tradition that goes back to the 1800s. And in this election, and I think in future Stormont elections, they do not have that clear differentiation. And I think the the really concerning thing for the SDLP is that they have attracted incredible talent. I think that if you look at this objectively, they have a more talented set of politicians than any other their party in Northern Ireland, person for person, and it hasn't done anything for them. And that's really concerning. So it sends out the message that hard work doesn't pay off, which is not what you want to hear from your politicians. You know, but um, also, you have to remember that some of the big faces that they've just lost in this election, which is going to do huge damage optically, just looking at the party. I mean, the SLB deputy leader, Nicola Mallon, and sitting infrastructure minister, it's, it's just hugely damaging. Sam McBride, Andrew Madden, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. The clips were from the BBC, RTE, UTV and Channel 4. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.